You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Chris. And my name is Stephanie. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing the season four premiere of Orphan Black, The Collapse of Nature. While we will talk about anything and everything from that episode, there won't be any spoilers for future episodes. However, we are going to have a section of the episode later on, which will have some spoilers for the comic books. So if you are not up to date on the comic books, there will be a spoiler warning before that section. So heads up. Heads up. So Chris, 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 Chris. That's me. It's our 100th episode of the podcast. It is. I'm super excited about it. I think I've messaged you about it twice already this week. <laughs> <laughs> and while we're not doing any, like a special episode of the podcast, like I feel like having the season four premiere discussion be our 100th episode is pretty, pretty good. Coincidence? I think it's pretty cool. And I really, really, really loved this episode of Orphan Black. I did too. So, I was super happy with it. <laughs> like, I'm not surprised, really, but I'm glad. I'm happy about it. Well, here's why you're probably a little, you were a little bit worried is because, as I mentioned in, in our comic book discussion episode, I'm not a big fan of flashbacks. When she says not a big fan of, she means she hates them. <laughs> <laughs> she means she screams at the TV when they happen usually. However, I trusted Orphan Black to be, like, the 1% of TV shows that could do a flashback that didn't make me scream, and they really did. I thought this was just, it avoided the major pitfalls of doing flashbacks. For the most part, we're going to talk about one thing later on, <laughs> but, and it was just super compelling. It gave us so much new information, because that's my big problem with flashbacks oftentimes, is it's like, I already know this. Why are you telling me this again? I don't need to see this thing that happened. I need to see how it affected the person already. But this was tons of new information, and I just thought Beth was a great lead character for this episode. Well, what's so great is that it was almost the entire episode, mm -hmm. and it was focused solely on Beth. Yes. And, I mean, we saw other things, too, which are also going to be very important, clearly, but... The fact that it was Beth, and we haven't actually seen any of real Beth. We've seen home mm -hmm. movies of Beth. We saw Sarah's dream vision thing of Beth, but we haven't actually seen actual Beth doing actual things. Because, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if you're being filmed by somebody, you're not really fully yourself, which is a whole sociological anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, right? I mean... There's a bit of a, a performance inherent in... Anyway, that's not important. Beth had that line in the episode to Paul where she says to him, You're hollow, Paul. I've filled you in on hunches. And, I, it, and it just made me click in my mind, like, that's what Beth has been as a character for us yes. as the audience. Is we've had to make assumptions about her from things that have been told to us. But now we finally got to see her as like a 3D fully formed character. And it was glorious. Yes. And it was so interesting just like even just seeing her as she is on an average day mm -hmm. because we'd seen so much of sarah pretending to be beth based on sarah's hunches and sarah especially like physically way overshot beth <laughs> yeah she was dressing up way fancier had her hair just different i mean it was it was down more often or just pulled back but and neater yes which, I mean, for Sarah is quite an accomplishment. <laughs> but but Beth had, like, the messy, 
half undone bun for mm-hmm. pretty much the entire episode, which I don't know, for some reason I really liked. Like I liked that. It felt more real. Beth feels real to me now. Mm. In a way she didn't necessarily before. Beth was a concept before. Yeah. But at the same time, seeing real Beth, it allowed me to realize like that Sarah was actually able to pretend to be her more easily than if she had tried to take over for, like, say, Allison's life or Kasima's life. They do have more, I think, similarities than differences, even though they are two distinct people. Mm-hmm. But Beth was way more swaggery <laughs> than I kind of thought she would be. For some reason, I thought she'd be a little bit more uptight and prim the way that Allison is. But she had a lot of swagger going well, on. Well, because that's how Sarah played her. Mm-hmm. Almost always. Well, and also seeing her on the train state on the train tracks too. She was wearing like a neat dress, and the way that she put her her things down kind of neatly. I, it was just that's but true. It was such a small moment that we saw from her, you know. But I had to I had drawn big conclusions about that moment, right? But it makes sense. I mean, that would be a more deliberate kind of moment anyway. So mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. Something that was kind of a surprise to me was how serious Beth's addiction was. Even though I think I had the idea, like, okay, clearly it was interfering with her life. Like, when she pulled out that little pouch with, like, a spoon and her little kit for crushing up pills so she could snort them, I did not imagine anything like that in her past. I know. That was that was kind of shocking to me. Yeah. The extent of it was surprising that she had the little, as you were just saying, with the spoon and the lighter and, like, she had a whole setup there. Mm-hmm. Whereas before we'd only seen all the pill bottles in the cabinet, so. Yeah, I just kind of assumed she was taking more pills than one reasonably should. Right, doing more of an Allison thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, taking pills that she didn't need just because she wanted the high, but not, like, grinding them up and snorting them. I'd never imagined that. And it was also, it was surprising to me, but it also then made sense, which is, again, why I really like this episode, because I felt like it gave us new elements that are like, oh, this is that's kind of surprising, but it makes sense uh, when we see how Allison was facilitating her addiction. Yes. And now it's like, okay, that's part of why Beth's death hit Allison harder, too. So mm-hmm. we, we see it especially from Allison and Art and Paul, I think, are the three we see, which, I mean, is logical, right? Bart and Paul especially, because they're the ones who are actually in Beth's regular life. But I think there'd been some speculation of like, well, you know, how close were Allison and Beth? But this explains it, because those three all knew that something was wrong with Beth leading to her death. So, And we saw in season one from Allison how closely guarded she kept her issues with alcohol and pills. And the fact that this was clearly something that she had shared with Beth, I think that is a, is a sign as to why she was so close with Beth is this was something that an experience that they could share together. It was something that she shared with Beth that she didn't share with most people. So yeah, it like it made sense subsequently. But at the same time, I was just I was still surprised to be like, Oh, my gosh, she like sent her her daughter's urine so that she could pass a piss test. Like that was that was pretty surprising to me. Yes. And also leads me to go, Allison, how did you get that? She probably was like, oh, mommy needs you to pee in this cup for a doctor or something like probably. that, is my guess. But yeah, like the that she manipulated her daughter in that way is kind of unsettling, right? For, yes. for us to think about Allison yes. doing that. And then kept it in like the little uh, <laughs> uh, apothecary jar. Bottle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So classy, Allison, even when delivering urine. 
And that scene with Allison, I think, was revelatory in, in how, like, excited she seemed. Because, you know, when we meet her in season one, she is not excited to be involved in all of this clone business. And, you know, she's worn down at that point. So, you know, seeing her here, which is, you know, I think supposed to be about a few months before where we pick up in season season one, episode one, it's it was interesting to me to see how Allison's attitude was so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one wonders how much of that has to do with everything involving the Maggie Chen right. murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was also interesting to see Beth acting in the capacity of a cop, which is mm-hmm. most of what the episode was, in the half anyway. And that Beth really, you know, addiction aside, seems to be a really good, solid cop. Yeah, you could really see how her personality lent herself well to being a detective and being a cop. She could be warm and compassionate when she needed to, but clearly could spot people's buttons and kind of push them so that she could try to get information from them. It was it was especially interesting to see her with Raj and see how manipulative that she was with him. And Sarah was so right on about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now we know why, right? Because Raj was kind of like, Beth. And yeah, now we understand where that comes dog. from. Because Beth was actively kind of flirting with him. So yeah. no wonder Raj responded to Sarah as Beth that way. And and please forgive my aside, but Raj! <laughs> I was so happy to see him. I'm sure anybody who's listened to our episodes before was fully expecting you to be super excited about Raj. <laughs> this episode had Raj, it had Ramon, it had some of my favorite, you know, kind of secondary tertiary characters in it. I was so happy. And since we're talking about those cameos and Beth, I have to mention Angie. Oh my gosh, yes. I'm so excited about Angie's appearance. <laughs> well, and it was great because she brought with her that element of Angie that I loved in season 1, just like the how much she loved being a detective. <laughs> It's like bifurcated dick, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and something about you guys always get the weird ones and it's being not so jealous yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I have a better handle on Angie now, too, because we'd mm. wondered before, because she seemed vaguely, I don't know if hostile is necessarily the right word, but competitive. There you go. She's competitive with Sarah as Beth. And I feel like maybe that's. A little bit clearer now. Yeah. I mean, she was right. Beth was super shaky and clearly yep. going through withdrawals in that in that scene where they're at the cafe or the, the restaurant. So Fungs. Mm-hmm. Which was also mentioned in the first episode. Yep. That's where they met when they were going over the Maggie Chen shooting. Case. Yep. Yep. And speaking of, of Raj, we also saw that moment where she asked him for the surveillance equipment, uh, but we see her put up the equipment in her apartment. Whereas they found the equipment in Paul's office. No, they found the equipment in the trunk of the car. Well, that's true. And then Sarah put it in Paul's office. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So the equipment was in the apartment. They found it in the trunk. And so I'm wondering, since we're getting a revisit, a reminder of that surveillance equipment and seeing that she put it in their apartment, if that surveillance will surface maybe this season and if it might be useful to Clone Club in some way. I'm assuming that will be the case, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if MK has it. Hmm. That'd be that'd be a good guess, maybe, since especially since we see that Beth did have a relationship with her and would go to visit her and things. Right. And that 
I mean, to our knowledge, Allison and Cosima don't know about MK. So mm-hmm. that might make sense if MK is the one who warned her about Paul. And of course, Allison and Cosima didn't know about that either. Right. So it makes sense that Beth might have trusted MK with any relevant information she got regarding Paul. That's a good guess. I like that guess. Thank you. Because we've talked about previously how flashbacks didn't really seem to be in the show's wheelhouse, but, you know, finding videotape and that sort of thing was more how they would bring in elements of the past into the current timeline. So, why not you know, both? They did, they, yeah, they did give us a flashback, finally, a long flashback. And I'm wondering if that then we'll have video from Beth as well later in the season. Well, because I've been wondering, after seeing this episode, I've been wondering if they were going to do another flashback mm-hmm. or more more flashbacks another episode that's just flashbacks i mean i don't know because it feels like the door is open to it now yeah and quite honestly i wouldn't mind because we do feel like we're dropped into the middle of a big web of something and we've talked about how much we feel like we didn't know about what was going on with beth and what all she knew and didn't know and i feel like there's plenty of story for them to tell in that period before Sarah comes along and, you know, Beth commits suicide. So I, I honestly would not mind at all if they did another episode similar to this one that took place primarily in the past. Same. I My only re- reservation is that we only have 10 episodes, so I don't know how they're going to spend them, you know? Yeah. It makes sense now that we've got video surveillance in play that they could do more found footage stuff for the rest of the mm-hmm. season. But yeah, I I wouldn't mind seeing another episode to fill in more gaps between this episode and 101. Well, before they flashed forward at the very end, I shouldn't say flash forward, but, you know, came back into our, our regular timeline at the very end, I actually wondered if they were going to do the entire season as mm, me too, a flashback. Yeah. Because if nothing else, Dylan Bruce is in the title credits and the in the opening credits. And, you know, Paul's dead. So <laughs> so how he would be cast as a cast member still is is kind of a mystery to me if it's not going to be all flashback this season. Yeah. I didn't watch the entire promo because I try not to watch them, but the promo for next week suggested that it wasn't a flashback. Right. Or at least not at least some of it was not a flashback like this episode. I mean, even the the fact that they ended this episode this way, I, I think leads us to think that The majority of the next episode, at least, won't be in flashback. But, you know, as we say, we don't know. (laughs) Right. I did watch the promo, but I still don't know. Right. But logical conclusion would be that it would take place in our regular timeline. Yeah. I I I think that's likely. Which is either 2012 or 2015, depending on (laughs) (laughs) which of Orphan Black's own timelines they're doing. (laughs) I'm sorry, Orphan Black, but it's true. But speaking of Paul, as we were just doing, that confrontation between Beth and Paul was, it was so, so heartbreaking for both of them. I felt so bad for both of them. I think that's maybe the worst I've ever felt for Paul. Mm -hmm. Because as we've discussed many times before, the fact that they wait until the episode where they kill Paul to actually give us some sort of definitive answer as to Paul's allegiances, you know, you're never quite sure how much is sincere and how much is an act. I mean, I assumed a lot of it was sincere, but knowing what we know now and then seeing this and seeing how 
guilty he seems to be Mm -hmm. was really interesting to me. Yeah. Because I think from what we had heard of what Beth wrote in the letters, because Sarah finds those letters that Beth wrote in the first season, and kind of extrapolating from the content of the letters, I imagine Paul being more icy with her than we actually see him being here. He seems to be really torn up about it, like trying to be warm toward her, but not being able to commit to it because he feels guilty about lying to her. So I, I was very much reminded of that moment in, in season one where Sarah is confronting him about the fact that Beth killed herself. And he he just he gets really upset when she confronts him with, you know, she thought she loved you. She didn't understand why you wouldn't break up with her like you destroyed her. That moment made a lot of sense to me. His reaction to that moment made a lot of sense to me seeing him here. Right. Yep, same. Because there is this image that we get of Paul from the first few episodes where he is cold. He is. He's he's downright grouchy with mm-hmm. Sarah as Beth. And so it's really interesting to see this sort of middle ground, I guess, in the flashback with Beth where he can't even look her in the eye. Mm-hmm. And how upsetting that is, I think, to both of them. Yeah. And I I do think this is a mark of a good good episode, good writing, even though I knew that that Beth was not going to shoot Paul in that moment where she had the gun to the back of his head. I was still worried. Like, Mm -hmm. that's a good sign that you're watching a well-written, well-acted episode. Even though I knew the outcome, I got worried when I saw that gun. I was like, oh, my gosh. So, Well, it's like you knew she wasn't going to shoot him, but you didn't know where the scene was going to go, really. Because was Paul going to turn around and see that she had a gun trained on him? How was that going to affect things if that's how it played out? I didn't think that was how it was going to play out. But, yeah, the the fact that you're not totally sure, even though you know the things that happen after it, that – yeah, you're right. Good job, writers. Because that wasn't the only moment. There were a couple of moments where, even though I knew, like, oh, that character is going to be okay or what have you, I knew the ultimate el- outcome. I still was surprised or I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And, and yeah, I think that's just a hallmark of a well-written, well-acted episode. Well-directed. All the things. <laughs> All the things were good. A, a well-created show, yes. Mm-hmm. Speaking of all those things, shall we talk about art? Yes, because this was also kind of heartbreaking to me in a, you know, hindsight way, because we see how Beth and Art's relationship was at this moment in time and how close they were and how close they got. Yes. And thinking of that relationship that we see versus how hostile Art was toward her at the beginning of, of season one, it just kind of was heartbreaking to me. Yep. And again, it's one of those things, the whole thing's clearer now, but I also don't think it's too different than I'd assumed it was, but it's still, it's still rather affecting given that we're at the point before Maggie Chen gets killed by Beth, Mm -hmm. you know, because I feel like that's probably the big change regarding everyone in their relationships to Beth, I assume. Yeah. No, I agree. Because I think when they revealed in season three where, you know, Sarah and Art are talking and Sarah realizes that Art was in love with Beth, me personally, at least, I was thinking that that love was, like, just unrequited. And 
while I think what happened between the two of them here was really motivated by that really upsetting confrontation between Beth and, and Paul, and probably there was some unrequitedness eventually, on, on Beth's side at least, you know, I didn't imagine that they'd actually slept together at some point. So the fact that that happened between the two of them, the fact that then immediately he was he was there for her when she really needed him. Again, it was just like so heartbreaking to think that that's where the relationship was. And then it it got to be just so hostile and cold by the time we see them going through all of the business with IA in the beginning of season one. Mm -hmm. But it makes perfect sense, you know, right. like you could imagine Beth pulling away from him after this happens and Art getting angry and hurt about that. Like you can imagine how the relationship would change, but it's still difficult to think about. Right. And also explains why Art seemed so frustrated with Sarah as Beth when she was being weird about her relationship with Paul. Yeah. Like, that makes a lot more sense to me now, too. Yeah. And and, and did you see, again, Art's little jealous man tendencies come out when he spotted Beth talking to Raj? <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> he, he stood up a little straighter and was like, hey, now. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't get as hostile with Raj as he did with Paul in back in season one, but there was still a little bit of like, hey, come on. <laughs> to be fair, she was using Raj. Yes, she was. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was interesting to me to see this all play out because I, I remember we were having that conversation, you know, because I think Art says something to Sarah like, but it happened or something like that regarding his relationship with Beth. So we were all speculating like, well, what does that mean? What does exactly? that mean? Yeah. Does it happened in the sense that you had feelings for each other or it happened in the sense that we actually see it happen in this episode in which they sleep together. Mm -hmm. And I actually really liked that scene between Beth and Art where on the couch. Yeah. Beth is just, sort oh, that of was a great sprawled scene. out on his couch in her fancy dress, but just looking comfortable and at home and peaceful mm -hmm. for, I mean, I think this whole episode, we don't quite see peaceful Beth, you know? No, she's, she's, yeah, she's like feisty and, and uncomfortable. And yeah, I agree. But we see her comfortable and peaceful and at rest twice, once with Art and then once with MK. And I just, I, I like how Art is with Beth in that scene. Like, He's just, he's there for her. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it's so clear in that scene that that's really what she needs. Yeah, because she she give, she asked him the same questions that she asked Paul, and he wasn't able to be there for her because of his guilt over being deceptive. But because Art was not in the same position, you know, he could be there for her in a way that Paul couldn't. Right. At least we assume that's why Paul was guilty. True. There could be things that we don't know about. That's fair. Because it's the show. Mm -hmm. But yeah. But I like that at least Beth had somebody who was a decent human being in her life. Yeah. Decent in the sense that honest and non-deceptive. And speaking of Art being a decent person, we meet his daughter. We knew he had a kid. And she is so cute. She is. Maya is so cute. <laughs> she seemed like a real sweetie pie. I was really happy to get to see him just hanging out with her on the couch and right. see him being a dad. It's nice because we get hints of it in the past seasons, but like there's a little drawing that he's got on his fridge or on his wall or whatever it is. And, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's like, oh, there she is. She's adorable. 
And you were also talking about the relationship between Beth and MK, which was completely new information, right? This is a a new clone to us in on Orphan Black, the, the you know the TV series. We we haven't seen this clone before, and she was she was an interesting figure, uh, definitely Scandinavian based on the accent. Yes, apparently Tatiana Maslany based her character, like I think voice and mannerisms and such, on Bjork. Bjork is awesome. I love Bjork. So, because they said that in the After the Black, Orphan Black special, like mm-hmm. after show special. I don't know if you watched it, Stephanie. I did not. Okay. I have no access to watch it. Okay. <laughs> I didn't think so, but I wasn't sure. But I watched it after the show, and they said on there that she based MK on Bjork, and I went, oh, <laughs> that's why MK seems really familiar to me. <laughs> it's because she's Bjork. If Elita clone was Bjork, she would be MK. And I went, oh, I get it now. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen Bjork with wavy hair, but I think she had a similar haircut back in the 90s, so I can see it. A lot of MK reminds me of that. There's that one, I think it might be the debut album cover. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yep, I see it. <laughs> and her her fondness for the sheep mask, again, a, a, a reference. Why again? We haven't said it. But a reference to Dolly the sheep. I, I said it in the episode before this. So. Oh, okay. There we go. Again, a <laughs> reference to Dolly the sheep. <laughs> Why Beth got a fox, I'm not entirely sure, but... Yeah, I don't know that either. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about the sheep mask. Okay. If you're out in the woods at night, in the dark, and you're trying to stealthily follow some people, why would you wear a bright white mask? Yes, the color was not a good choice for that situation. Mask I can get, but why a white cheap mask? I'm not entirely sure. And it's like a plastic mask, so it it sort of amplifies the sound of your breathing. (laughs) You're noisier and you're easier to see. Why would you do it? (laughs) Nobody asked me, though. (laughs) These are the things I think about. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm curious about MK because... Cosima, when we hear her on the phone to Beth, Cosima makes reference to the sick German. Mm-hmm. And back in season one, I believe Cosima tells Sarah that it was Katya who got into contact with Beth originally. Am I remembering correctly? I honestly can't remember if they specifically say that it's Katya who got in touch with her. I do remember there's something about a European clone getting in touch with Beth. Okay. And then that Katya was bringing over samples. But I wonder how if if MK actually was the one who reached out to Beth first, since she seems to be in spy, searchy, hunty mode. Right. For sure here. Or if Katya got Beth in touch with MK. I'm I'm curious the link between Katya and MK if there is one. Right. I would assume that it was MK who perhaps orchestrated that meetup. Mm-hmm. It seems likely to me because there's evidence that she's a hacker. So And she's actually in Toronto, whereas it seemed like Katja was not. She was because Katja was staying in a hotel. I, I assumed that she had flown from Germany and was, you know, staying in Toronto temporarily. Where, but it looks like MK, you know, she has a little trailer. So I agree. I feel like MK probably was the one who reached out to Beth. Seems likely. But from what we see in this episode, MK is going to be around this season. So hopefully Mm -hmm. we'll get definitive answers to these questions. And I'm really excited about it. I don't know why, but I'm just really excited about MK. (laughs) 
<laughs> I am too. I, I like her already. It could be because she's Bjork. Yes. And I liked when she made the iced tea. She like told her specifically how much powder she put in and how much water. Like I don't know why, but that just made me like her her preciseness in that. Yes. I I heard on the interwebs that MK is neuroatypical. So mm. that will also be an interesting clone variation. Okay. Which I mean, I think there's evidence to support that in this episode. So. Yes. The timing, you know, you have three minutes to talk. I mean, there's other reasons for that, too. But yeah, once you say that, that that actually, that does click a lot of things into place. Right. Also, I liked her line to Beth. You're, well, maybe not liked, but thought it was worth mentioning. How about that? You're not scared enough. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what has MK seen? Yeah, for sure. And I think as the audience... We, you know, knowing what we know that Beth doesn't know, we're like, yeah, Beth, you're not scared. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Because she just goes walking up to Aldous Leakey. And I mean, I know she doesn't know who this guy is, but still. <laughs> As the audience, we're like, no, no. <laughs> danger, danger. Walking into Olivier's club, walking up to Dr. Leakey. But yeah, and we also see that scene between Beth and MK where... Beth goes there after all the other stuff happens and and just is comfortable enough with MK to fall asleep there. Mm -hmm. So I I want to know more about that relationship. Yeah. Because it seems like it's important. And I like your theory that maybe MK has the missing surveillance that Beth did on Paul. It makes sense to me. No, I think it makes perfect sense. Okay. Thank you for your validation. <laughs> So we had a hint at the end of season three that season four would be going back to the Neolutionist, really exploring the Neolutionists. And I think this episode also served as a good kickoff for that type of storyline. Very true. Even though we knew that they were going to find a worm eventually <laughs> in that guy. so soon. Cheek. I know. It does give us, you know, a new glimpse into the Neolutionist world in this episode. Yes, we were introduced to the cheek choppers, which upon first watch, I thought they said tree choppers, <laughs> which makes more sense, like, without knowing what happens. <laughs> and then you see the thing, oh, cheek choppers, of course. I mean, I, I knew as soon as they showed the cheek that had the square cut out of it, I was like, that guy oh, had, worm. had mm -hmm. an illusion worm in him. Yep. And ew. Ew, ew. Oh, speaking of, shout out to Janice Beckwith showing up. I loved her line about uh, cause of death being an exploding cigar. Exploding cigar, yeah. <laughs> it's so inappropriate, but but oh, Janice. <laughs> Beth also had some really good lines. I liked her. I'm, I want to get my boobs changed into like some corkscrew. Like a corkscrew. And her and her also like, you know, out of the blue, does she bifurcate dicks? <laughs> <laughs> but I also I also like Trudy's reaction to that where she was like, that's an alteration, not an implant, parentheses, stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My dad cringed so hard at that, by the way. <laughs> oh my gosh. There was some real gross bits in this episode, which is not uncommon for Orphan Black, right? They they do tend to have a little bit of gore in there. And the return of the tail. I was not pleased to see the tail again. Keep <laughs> your the, tail under a coat, Olivier. The pants. <laughs> the specially tailored pants. 
<sighs> and the ring, the jewelry piece to adorn the tail. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> uh, we get it, Olivier. Put you it away. Like your tail. Put it away. <laughs> Stop flashing us your tail. <laughs> I'm just saying. But we were introduced to a, a new mysterious figure who Leaky suggested was connected to these dead bodies, or at least the dead body that we see in this episode. Was her name Evie or Edie? Evie. Evie. With a V. Okay. As in very interesting. Mm. Yeah, it, it sounded like Evie when she introduced herself, but then it sounded like Leaky called her Edie, so I was confu- confused. But it's Evie Cho. Yes. So who is she? Like evolution. Oh, there we go. There we go. Or that's evil. a better that's a better example. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I am super curious about Evie Cho now. Yeah, what is her role in the Neolutionist movement? She seems to have maybe some connection to on the side medical experiments that they're doing on unwitting victims. What is she doing now? Because <laughs> Leaky does say something to her about, you know, one of my subjects has exhumed or whatever he said. Yours, one of yeah. your subjects. So. Mm-hmm. so it seems like she's not working for him, but is working on her own thing. Or I mean, I don't know. But clearly he has knowledge of her. But right. all the time that we've spent at Dyad so far, we've never seen Evie. So what is she up to nowadays? Well, they hadn't come up with her yet, probably. <laughs> well, I know, but... <laughs> I know I'm being a smartass. <laughs> so Trina's fingertip magnets. I feel like those would be difficult. Right? I, I'm just, I, I kept thinking, like, certainly that's more trouble than it's worth. Can you use, like, metal flatware? Do you always have to use plastic forks and spoons? I would feel like you just get stuck to things all the time. Uh, I don't know. Like, ooh, neat pen trick, but is it any good for anything else? <laughs> well, I just keep thinking, like, if it's in your fingertip, certainly that would be bothersome, right? I mean, mm-hmm. your fingertips are some of the more sensitive parts on your body, so wouldn't that – I just – wouldn't that get in the way? Uh, yeah, I I don't – feel like mm. it would be uncomfortable, too, you know? <laughs> These are the things I think about. I understand. I understand. <laughs> it just seems uncomfortable to me, but – I guess with all the other other modifications that people have going on in this episode, it's maybe not the not the most uncomfortable. I I don't know. <laughs> Bifurcated penis. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but yes. <laughs> maybe it's a statement on the duality of male and female art. <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> art. But anyway, I thought, it, I thought it was nice that we saw in this episode Allison used the same flower arrangement trick to send illicit goods to one of her clone sisters. You mostly liked it because it brought Ramon back into the picture, didn't you? Well, that too, but I I liked the touches where we we see that, you know, callbacks to previous things that we've seen on the show. Oh, me I, too. I me too. I'm teasing you. But I, I like the card in there, you know, thank you for all that you do. Me too. Yeah. I thought that was really rather sweet. I'm sure that she made that card, too. So. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It was bedazzled. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure the the soccer cop people were very excited to finally get to see a scene between Allison and Beth, even though they were on the telephone. From the glimpse I got on Tumblr, they are. <laughs> Boy, multi-shippers are just having a field day, I imagine, with this episode and, and Beth interacting with people. Multi-shippers? 
Multi-shippers, yes. I'm not familiar with this term. Please explain. Really? Yes. A multi-shipper is somebody who ships a variety of ships. Okay. As the name would imply. Okay. <laughs> so maybe they ship Soccer Cop, but maybe they also ship whatever Beth and Art's name would be. Bart? I guess. <laughs> Arth? <laughs> yeah, it's. I think Bart is the best, Probably. even though it's Probably. not great. Cop Cop? Double homicide? <laughs> We have a winner. Kasima <laughs> <laughs> making the U-Haul joke to Beth, who did not get it. <laughs> Beth was just like, uh. <laughs> so just to briefly talk about that ending scene, we see a repeat of the scene where Beth wakes up in bed and... We see that it's Paul behind her, and here we have Sarah waking up, and it's Kira behind her. By the way, I liked that they didn't spell it out for us. Like, by the way, this is a flashback. There was never, like, a card saying, you know, two years ago or two see, months I later. like that, too. Yeah, I like that they treat the audience as if they're smart people. Yes. Thank you. Same. But I, <laughs> but I also had the thought when Kira stayed in bed for that entire scene, it's like, that actress has gotten too tall, hasn't she? They're keeping her... <laughs> It's cold. They're in Iceland. <laughs> Would you get out of bed? <laughs> I, I am curious to see the next episode if we see her like up and moving around and things like that. Because I remember in, in season two of Buffy, they had an actor who was playing like a child vampire character who isn't supposed to age. So in like season two, when he came back and he had gotten much taller, he was just sitting down all the time and then they <laughs> killed him. <laughs> I'm not saying they're going to kill Kira. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> You're just saying that Kira's going to be sitting every time we see her from now on. Potentially. <laughs> Super cute hair, though, Kira. Kira's always adorable. I know. This show know. casts really cute kids. They do. But that ending scene made me happy to see Sarah and Kira together. And clearly they're still someplace cold and probably still in Iceland. And But neolutionists are coming. Ah! The land of Bjork. <laughs> what? It's true. I know. That's what I'm... <laughs> We'll go ahead and mention in this episode the titles for season four episodes. They are coming from essays written by Donna Haraway. She is a scholar who is most famous for a socialist feminist essay called A Cyborg Manifesto. And that, you know, makes sense given the fact that it seems like we're going to have a lot of stuff about the Neolutionists this season. We are planning to, like we did for the Eisenhower speech last season, we are planning to do an episode about Donna Haraway slash her writing at the end of season four. Okay, so let's talk about the comic books. If you haven't read the comic books, turn away now. If you don't want spoilers, if you don't care, feel free to keep listening. But that's true. If you if you want to avoid spoilers for the comic books, we're talking. These are spoilers from the first five issues. So the first trade paperback of the comics, we're talking about spoilers. Okay, Chris, go ahead. <laughs> I know you have feelings. <laughs> I'm irritated. Because Maggie Chen's death in this episode does not match up with her death as we see it in issue two of the comics. Now, there are ways they could write around this, but I think even if they do that, it's going to irritate me. Because yeah, it doesn't match at all. It, it really doesn't. Because in the comic books, they, for those who maybe don't remember, there's a panel. It's in, it, it's in the Helena book. And Helena's, you know, kind of thinking back to... Maggie's death as she is pointing the gun at Sarah's head like we see in season one. And there's a panel that intimates that somehow Maggie has been getting names of clones from Beth 
but she's getting suspicious, so that means they have to kill her. And then you describe what the actual murder scene looks like, Chris. If I'm remembering correctly, Maggie and Beth are walking along together in this alley, having a conversation. Like they're friends, yeah. Yes. A friendly conversation as they're walking down this alley. Helena is somewhere nearby watching this. Prepared to shoot Beth. Right. And then Beth and Maggie, I think, get into something of an argument and then Beth shoots and kills Maggie Chen. Yes. Which is not remotely what happened in this episode, because what happened in this episode is more what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where, you know, we knew that Maggie had been following the clones, looking for clones, being essentially Helena's scout. So it makes sense that she's following Beth. And Beth, of course, is so jumpy from everything that is going on that she just sees somebody following her and she whirls around and shoots without really giving them the opportunity to get the drop on her or whatever Mm -hmm. probably made worse with whatever drugs beth is taking but and see i i actually the the way that baggy chen was killed in this episode was not how i pictured it because i i i think had assumed that beth knew that maggie was following her and it was more of a deliberate killing on beth's part right that it wasn't actually an accident. So when that actually happened, like I, I breathed it. Like <gasps> I breathed in in shock. Like I was surprised the way that it happened. Which again, that's why I really liked. I really liked this episode. Thank you. I gasped. Um, which is again why I really like this episode because I felt like things played out for me in unexpected ways. Right. And um, I really like the way that it played out. I like it better than what they suggest in the comic book. Actually, me too. But there is now this issue of, like, what the heck? Why are they so different? (laughs) Because they said that the comic books were going to be canonical. They said that the comic books are in canon. We know that John and Graham helped script the comic books. So what the hell, John and Graham? Yeah. So that's the only pitfall, (laughs) potentially, of this doing this flashback is that it does contradict what we see in the comic books. I don't think it contradicts you know, continuity-wise, what we've seen on the actual TV series, but there's a huge contradiction with the comic books. However, and we mentioned this in the episode we talked about the comics, there are smaller consistency issues with the comic books, largely. So it's kind of like, I don't I don't know what to think. I can overlook the small ones, but this one is not small. It is not at all, exactly. And I, I guess the only way that it could maybe makes sense that they could write around it being so different is the fact that we do have Helena who is narrating this book. And Helena is, I think, by definition, an unreliable narrator. Correct. Yes. So is this the way that she has built up Maggie's death in her mind because she's so upset that Maggie died? It, and and it isn't doesn't actually didn't actually happen to that that way at all. Like this, the way that we see it on the TV show is actually the way that it happened. I don't know. Right. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, there are ways they could explain this away if they chose to. Because it could be that they were actually getting names from Beth, but without Beth knowing about it. Because maybe, well, I mean, we know Maggie Chen was following Beth, right? So maybe she followed her to, I don't know. I, I guess we don't haven't seen them actually meet up with, seen Beth meet up with Allison or anything. But You know, I could see how that could be a thing that happened, that she somehow traced Beth and found Kasima and Allison through Beth. So it's possible that they got names 
or or possibly from Beth's communications with MK, since Beth clearly wasn't being careful enough. Mm-hmm. There are ways that they could sort of explain it where parts of it make sense, but yeah, or with Helena being an unreliable narrator, but I just, I'm I'm bothered by it. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I'd actually forgotten about it until you brought it up. And then I went and I looked in the book. I was like, oh, yeah, that's completely different. So it is puzzling, like, why they would say that the comic books are in canon and some of the stuff that they reveal in the comic books were then revealed on the show in season three. So there are many things to suggest that they are canonical, uh, but this huge inconsistency is, is a little baffling. I watched the episode and then went full Tina Belcher and was non-canonical, non-canonical. <laughs> if you don't watch Bob's Rookers, you probably should. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth it for the friend fiction alone. <laughs> Erotic friend fiction. <laughs> that quote, by the way, non-canonical is from the episode Equestronauts, FYI. <laughs> Chris wants you to go watch it. We'll, we'll wait. <laughs> And then obviously for those of us who have read the comic books, we have MK, who is actually Vera, whose last name I can't pronounce. <laughs> her artfully cut hair is covering the scar on the side of her face, which you do get glimpses of when she's moving around if you're looking really carefully. Mm-hmm. It's and, like if you know it's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But otherwise you don't really see it. And then we got to see Emmy, who was Kasima's ex-girlfriend slash ex-monitor, and I thought that was interesting that Emmy was willing to help her move her stuff, even though they had broken up. But I guess maybe because she's her monitor, she was still kind of hanging around. Well, I mean, from what we see in the comic book, she's basically she, obsessed with Kazima. Yeah. So. She was she was still hung up on Kazima. So you're right. That makes sense, I guess. I still was thinking, man, that's nice of her. <laughs> uh, oh, me too. I was like, they just broke up, but Kazima's on the phone with Allison talking loudly about how she's moving, or on the phone with Beth, pardon me, on the phone with Beth talking about Allison loudly. Mm-hmm. I was like, I guess it's good she's her monitor because she knows about, except no, she doesn't know about the, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't think she knows that Kazima knows there are other clones. Right, right. So yeah, that's true. Kazima was not being very stealthy in that scene, but nope. that's kind of par for the course for Kazima. <laughs> it's true, it's true. <laughs> Walking around college campuses loudly talking about clone stuff. Yeah, top secret information. If you have thoughts about this episode that you'd like to share with us, you can do that in a number of ways. You can leave a comment on our show notes at tatianaiseveryone.com slash 100. Woohoo! Yay! You can send us an email at feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. You can record a voice memo with your smartphone and email it to us there. You can call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. You can find us on Twitter at TIE Podcast. We are also on Facebook. Tatiana's Everyone is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. Find our other podcasts about Lost Girl, Killjoys, as well as our multi-fandom podcast on which we're discussing both Winona Earp and The 100 right now. Go to askgenretv.com. Those episodes about The 100, by the way, are hosted by me and Dawson, who has guested on a few episodes of this podcast. And in this episode, Stephanie's excitement about Raj was played by Tatiana Mazzotti. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.